The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello, everybody. It's me, your cantankerously rich as hell bruiser, Holden McNeely. And it's me, your three nephew bruisers. We're all the same, but different. <laughs> we'll get into that. We're one. We are one. We are one. We are three, but one. We are the trinity of tiny ducks. And get ready for it. Boom, 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 Life is like a hurricane here in Duckburg. Race cars, lasers, airplanes. It's a duck blur. Might solve a mystery or rewrite history. Ducktales, woo! Ducktales, woo! Danger looks behind you. There's a stranger out to find you. Better do and grab onto some ducktails. Woo! Ducktails. Woo! Ponytail, not cotton tail, not ducktails. Woo! I don't think they do a final woohoo, do they? It just goes ba bam. Oh, probably. Who cares? it up. Let's start again. It's okay. Boom, 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 boom. Guys, we're here to talk about ducktails. No, we're doing it again. Boom, boom, Jake, you're sweating profusely. Life is like a hurricane. <laughs> what are we doing? Like a heavy metal version? I think there is that, by the way. Um, yes, uh, DuckTales. Well, I, I have to say, too, what an amazing experience. We uh, ask and you shall receive. We got to interview uh, Jim Megan, which is a, a huge part of the whole Disney afternoon. Um, we kind of joked about this with him on the on uh, the on the interview. We were like, "Hey, it says that you're like the guy for DuckTales on Wikipedia. It's on Wikipedia, developed by Jim Megan. And really, there were a ton of other people who were involved in it. We're going to totally talk about that. But Jim Megan did really have. Uh, he was instrumental in the whole Disney afternoon block. I mean, you know, and that's really a big part of the story here. This is our excuse to talk about the Disney afternoon as well. And finally, I have an excuse to talk about the life and times of Scrooge McDuck. We'll get to that later. And to all of the weird Norwegian listeners who are tuning in just to listen to stories about Donald Duck. Hello. You're welcome. We did not read all the comics <laughs> but i mean i did read uh, some growing up and uh uncle scrooge and we'll talk about carl barks as well and we're that'll be sooner actually because that starts our tale in a lot of ways um what kind of tale uh a duck tale oh shit um and yeah it, it's it's so DuckTales and everything around it is so much bigger than you think it is at a glance like at first you're just like oh a fun adventure cartoon about ducks but then you look into the deep 
deep history with Walt Disney that these characters have based off of Donald Duck. So, and again, and again, finally, Donald, usually, you know, you talk about Disney, you talk about Mickey, you talk about this, you know, Donald Duck going to get a spotlight today on our episode. The spotlight he always deserved, um, unlike Kingdom Hearts. Uh, well, it's an, it's an interesting thing where DuckTales is like this perfect storm of creativity for a company that is Disney for the longest time was incredibly protective of its characters. Like, you know when you go to Disney World and there's all these like people in suits and there's all these costume people and like they still make a big deal that the one guy in the Mickey suit is going to show up at a specific hour at a specific place and you get in line even though it's just a guy in a suit there's just this like magic about like Mickey that you know they make it rare they make it special yeah and Donald Duck was always the second banana he was always like you know kind of a he was a second tier character they could throw him out in places where, you know, Mickey was too VIP for. And then on top of that, Carl Barks just went off and made his own basically AU adventure Scottish this, fanfic. Built this incredible epic history to this character. I love when people take properties and create something just so much deeper than they were ever intended <laughs> to be. And we come in we 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 come into contact with that so much through the course of doing these podcasts and it's always my favorite story is the story of like yeah there was just this dead probably like swamp thing or uh most recently what was the car- comic book character we did most recently that was kind of like that that was rejuvenated oh hulk? shit hulk totally was what i was referencing there's just i love that story because you know a it, it's a really great way to break into the business to to come in as an uh you know to come in and be that courageous artist that's willing to take not the Superman, not the Spider-Man uh, title, but take the the dying entity and rejuvenate and fill it with life and fill it with what you have to bring to the table. It's totally so what Carl Barks brought. At a specific time and a specific place, the Walt Disney Corporation needed an infinite source of Disney-themed adventures, but that didn't use any of the actual Disney characters. Yes. Something that contained all of the potential and magic and heart of Disney, but wasn't Mickey and Donald. And they had Carl Barks's fucking insight, like just tome of epic tales. Right. And it's just a perfect time it's and a perfect a place. Thing. And I, I want to take a step back though. I want to go back before that and talk about the history of Donald Duck and Carl Barks's work. Before we do that though, I want to do a bit of a gush. Mm. It's This is a two-fold gush, okay? Which is gross, I get it. No, 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 it's the coming female out orgasms. The <laughs> this gush is coming out of every hole, okay? That's what I'm saying right now, right? And you gotta listen to it because you decide to listen to my podcast, okay? Mm-hmm. All the holes. Just let that sink in. Even the eyes? So uh, the reason why I say that is because not only do I have a love for DuckTales, and I love what, that it spawned also, I was really into Darkwing Duck too uh, <laughs> as a kid as well. But it's not just a love of DuckTales that we're talking about on this episode. It is also a love of running home after school. Finally, the shitty day is done. Your parents are at work if you're in my situation. You don't have anybody to hang out with in the neighborhood, and you have to get that homework done. So you sprint home and sit down in front of the TV and just enjoy the hell out of a a few hours of great cartoons. And we have to thank for that the Disney afternoon and the work that these guys did and the whole fact that 
that daily syndicated TV. Yeah, no Disney Afternoon, no, uh, you know, Kids WB, no... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, no, you know... I mean, I'm thinking of specific shows. I used to, like... No Amble, you know, whatever the, you know, Steven spielberg verse. Yeah, Animaniacs and Tiny Toons. All, all that stuff that we enjoyed the hell out of in the afternoon is thanks to these people and thanks to shows like DuckTales specifically because DuckTales really was the biggest most popular show of that block as well the breakout yeah. was the breakout but then also Rescue Rangers Tailspin these are phenomenal TV shows and we take them for Marsupilami gr- you know they're not all winners <laughs> <laughs> but we take it for granted because also what these shows okay brought- okay hear, hear me out hear me out hear me out you're locked in a room there's a single handgun lying in the center okay. with one bullet and uh, you have to shoot either Bonkers or Marsupilami. Which one do you do in? I can't do both. You can't do... You could kill yourself. I'll line them up in a row if it's just one bullet, and I'll just try to get through both of them. Okay, good answer. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll probably... You know, then I'll shoot my own foot just to feel what pain is again. Um, but yeah, it really is... Uh, it's kind of incredible. I didn't realize that going into it, but these people, these cartoons, these voices, these stories kept me entertained and kept me company through a lot of loneliness in my childhood. A, a, a profound and dependable small comfort. Yeah, it, it's really amazing. And you don't think about that so much. But And also, oh, yeah, and I was also going to say, we don't realize, too, the jump in quality that happened because of the Disney Afternoon block. And the fact that, really, there was nothing else out there that looked like that until they started doing it. We're going to talk about what it was that went into that, which is a pretty fascinating story. I can't believe... This particular studio is a part of our story because it's just a part of so many damn stories that we tell here. We'll get to that later. But, yeah, it's it's really cool. It's You don't realize it when you look at it because you're just like, oh, a fun adventure show about ducks. But it really was. These- you know, the, the simple thing we all know and love, <laughs> the world-trotting, quintillionaire Scottish duck and his nephews pillaging ancient ruins. But, but You the- know, that old canard. Oh, yeah. I, I No, I get it. But That old mallard, if you will. <laughs> I'm going to go eat some chocolate. Hey, it's okay, Jake. We've been staring at duck puns. <laughs> All week. So I completely am fine with that. Uh, But also that this show, uh, these guys were pioneers in a a big way. And it's really fascinating. And I I didn't, I was not expecting everything that I got out of this episode. So I'm really happy about it. Oh, also, I should mention. Oh, thank God you remembered. This is a Patreon donated episode. Uh, Let me, let me pull that up really quick. Apologies for that. I've completely, uh, in my excitement for doing the show um i forgot that this is from ralph teed thank you so much and this is for his wife's birthday it was on july 26th so it's a few days after uh, when this episode will drop but uh he wanted to say this episode is dedicated to lauren the teal grand witch of the silver gelatin born of rainbow master of light and shadow all consuming fire of change ever flowing river of joy and sorrow keeper of all knowledge Fortress of Feline Serenity and biggest dork I've ever met. I love you, you big butt face. That is so sweet. That's so, amazing. I hope you I enjoy your birthday I have never been able gift. to uh, praise my fiance that long without mentioning her boobs. <laughs> it just always ends up there. It's there you go. kind of my weakness. He's a better man than you. Um, <laughs> so let's start with a little known character, 
named Donald Duck, a cartoon <laughs> character created by Walt Disney Productions in 1934. He was first mentioned in 1931 in a storybook called The Adventures of Mickey Mouse as one of Mickey's barnyard friends. Back then, the design was way different. He looked more like a normal duck with green pants and hat. God, uh, I can't even imagine the idea of Donald Duck with pants. <laughs> Dear I know, God, right? what even happens? Barf. How? Walt Disney... Uh, actually heard a voice actor who was auditioning for them to do animal noises named Clarence Nash. He did an odd voice while reciting Mary Had a Little Lamb. Nash felt that the voice was actually more like a goat, but Disney felt like it was a duck. So Donald makes his first appearance in Walt's Silly Symphonies cartoon series in an episode called The Wise Little Hen in June of 1934, in which he lies his way out of helping a hen tend her corn. Animators Art Babbitt and Dick Humor did the design for Donald Duck. <laughs> I'm with... sorry, what? Animators Art Babbitt and Dick Humor <laughs> did the design for Donald Duck. It's H U E M E R. So, uh, yeah, I hope I got that right. Um, actually, I'm. I hope I got it wrong at this point. His so name funny. is what we strive for. Yes, 100. percent Big fun ding dongs, y'all. <laughs> every every hole, every single. Um, so he, they did the design for Donald Duck with the blue sailor shirt and hat that we all know him for. He got his personality more so from his follow-up role in a Mickey Mouse cartoon, Orphan's Benefit, in August of 1934, in which he and other characters give performances in a benefit for Mickey's orphans. He recites, Mary had a little lamb, like uh, the audition, and Little Boy Blue, but he keeps getting humiliated by the orphans. I really need to watch this, by the way, just to see a bunch of orphans humiliating Donald Duck. When he does uh, these recitations, that is, they keep humiliating him, and that propels him into a squawking rage known as his fighting pose. When he's hopping on one foot with one fist out and swinging another one in the air, that is his classic stance. Holden, can you do a Donald Duck voice? I feel like no. Like, Can you do a fighting pose? Can you do like a full freak out? I, I would end up ripping the headphones out of the thing if I tried that. Uh, I, I can't do it at all. I feel like it's, it's a dad try, skill. I did try, but the idea of you standing in your living room this week attempting to do Donald Duck's fighting pose makes me happy, Jake. Oh, no, stop. Oh, that's not good radio. That's like eating on Mike. That's awful radio. Please. It only comes out like that. I can't help it. Uh, no, but I feel, yeah, any dad. Dads can do that voice like on command. It's weird. Yeah, I don't know. Now, uh, I've heard it said that uh, Donald Duck came to prominence uh, in the 1930s, which was uh, around the time of the Great Depression, and that having a pissed-off character, having a character with, like, just raw, with a short temper, just an angry, angry duck that just is raging against the world, uh, made him so just uh, just resonate with the American soul. Mm. Basically, the, uh, the, the, the Rick and Morty of the era, just the, the, the kind of edgy angry character for all the pissed off people out there. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, they started using him in all those propaganda movies, so he became an everyman, a fighting totally, man. Yeah, it's very weird. They, they, and he became official member of the Navy, right? And uh, uh, essentially was like a big spokesperson for, for the Army throughout throughout for a few decades i think they actually officially retired him in like the 60s or something i, I, I read something along <laughs> donald lost his foot in nom and they had to take him out. <laughs> suffered horrible ptsd uh, that's why how he's could, known here's for the thing, his though. rage how, issues. how could you tell <laughs> so yes he grew in popularity after uh throughout the 30s and he became a mainstay in mickey's stable daisy is introduced when donald gets his first solo cartoon in 1937 called Don Donald, 
It isn't until 1938 that Donald's nephews are introduced. First in the Donald Duck comic strip, illustrator Al Taliaferro, who drew the comic strip version for The Wise Little Hen for newspapers, really liked the character and pitched his own strip through which he was able to get running in 1938 with writer Homer Brightman and later Bob Carp. This expanded the Donald Duck universe with several new supporting characters, such as lazy cousin Gus Goose, Daisy the love interest, who, uh, as I said, first appeared in that uh, cartoon, and Donald's car, the 313. Remember the 313? No. Oh, look up an image of it. I, I mean, It's a white car, right, with a blue stripe. I haven't looked up an image of it, so I could be way wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And Huey, Dewey, and Louie who all go on to first appear in a cartoon in 1938 titled Donald's Nephews. And that's how we get them. But we don't get Scrooge just yet. That's when Carl Barks comes in. Carl Barks. Let's talk about him. This man has, if you love DuckTales, you have this man to thank in such a huge way. And you may have never heard his name before, and you may have never read a single thing he wrote, but he laid down the great foundation that DuckTales and everything else would would spawn from i mean they they literally pulled his stories verbatim for the show in some cases it's a very weird thing where uh in america i'm just gonna say in america the the dell comics didn't last as long they were kind of overshadowed by the rising tides of uh, marvel and dc superhero comic books and superhero comic books basically became what comic books were it was like the kitty stuff uh the interview we had with uh, Jim Megan uh, even talked about how he himself quickly went from reading, you know, the Dell comics to uh, superheroes and Marvel and all that stuff and when he was a kid. So DuckTales, the animated series, quickly became the dominant reason why we engaged with characters like Scrooge McDuck and Huey, Dewey, and Louie. However, overseas, those comics are bigger than DuckTales. It's kind of amazing how Carl Barks's work is, is, you know, way, way, way more important. They're still reprinted. They're still, like, a valuable part of comics histories uh, in Scandinavia, in uh, South America, in Russia. Like, all these countries, uh, it's, you know, DuckTales is that weird 80s show that wasn't as good as the comics to them. Whereas, you know, when doing research for this, I had to go back and actually, like, read these stories for the first time ever and it was kind of amazing. It's really fascinating stuff. It's such an eye into a time in comics that exists now in, in a nostalgic way because that existed, but it was just a really fascinating time, I think, for, for creative work through Disney. So he grew up on a farm, of course, a lonely child whose closest neighbor was a couple miles away, and he had to stop his schooling early due to hearing problems. Whoa, you're telling me a lonely child became a cartoonist? Yeah, exactly. Weird. Every <laughs> single time. And he couldn't hear well either. Uh, he would spend his lonely free time drawing on any material he could find, After that, he bounced from job to job, taking on tasks such as farmer, woodcutter, turner, mule driver, cowboy, and printer, all to little success, learning just how eccentric, stubborn, and unpredictable men, animals, and machines can be while also being around colleagues who maintained a sense of humor about their shitty day jobs that they had, about all these just ridiculous uh, implosions that would happen during work, right? They would just, it was how they got through life. Even the worst problems in their lives, they were able to laugh about. And that without that humor, he felt they and he would all go insane. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes life's just so crappy to you that, that if you can't laugh at it, you'll lose your mind. And that is the attitude that he adopted and used as inspiration for his characters later in life, especially Donald, drifting from job to job and his many failures that he encountered throughout the process. Uh, so in December of 1918... He leaves his father's house at 17 years old. And by the way, what I just described of him having to leave school early and fail over and over again, I feel like in your head you see like a, a guy in his 20s. <laughs> this is up to 17 years yeah. old. This He was a teen, teen probably preteen when he started working uh, in these awful jobs. And so he, at 17, moves to San Francisco to attempt a career at illustration and eventually gets a job as editor and scripted and drew most of the contents of a dirty men's cartoon mag called the Calgary Eye Opener. Did you read about this? No, I did not. So he was drawing boobos and D-dicks all the live long day uh, uh, before he got into uh, becoming the great duck artist. Do you think he ever crossed paths with fetish artist Eric Stanton? I would love to think so. I also hope that he was referred to as the great dick artist before he became the great (laughs) duck artist. Uh, Yes, I love the name of this. Such an old-timey name for a dirty thing. The Calgary Calgary Eye Opener. Oh, you won't believe. You'll be screaming boinga, boinga, boinga in no time looking at these crazy gals. Fifteen gams that'll make you say awooga. (laughs) You ever jerked off to a drawing before? (laughs) Well, you're about to. (laughs) So in 1935, Barks applies for a job at Walt Disney Studio and got approved for a tryout and was hired shortly thereafter, a year after the debut of Donald Duck working at first as an in-betweener, but his submissions of gag ideas for cartoon storylines got him transferred to the story department in 1937. So yeah, we've and this is the same old story I feel like we talk about with so many people who first break into anime or manga or cartoons or what have you. It's the in-betweener always to start, which is essentially, as we've said many times before, there's like the one pose and then the next pose and the in-betweener comes in and animates, draws in between the two poses. Literally, your job is to make sure that nobody can tell you did it. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, get ready for that if you love drawing and want to get in the business. Uh, You will be an in-betweener at some point. Uh, So So he he did it. He he did the dream. He made it to Disney Animation Studios. He got there and he got his storylines over Uh, His first story that he got over was the animated short film Modern Inventions, Uh, and it was a sequence in that short film in which a robot barber gives Donald Duck a haircut on his butt. (laughs) How about that for an eye-opener? This led him and his partner at the time, Jack Hanna, into creating many story ideas that were storyboarded and produced for Donald Duck, including Donald's nephews, among several others. That was the... The one I referenced before that was one of the first appearances of Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Due to the shitty wartime working conditions and actual sinus problems that he got from the air conditioning. He actually hated working at Walt Disney Studios. (laughs) Part of it is that um, he was much older than a lot of the bullpen. He had already, like, kind of had his hard times. He's like, he was the old man in the office. You know, he was there to work. And yeah. the bullpen at the time, the the attitude was a bunch of like young guys that were like playing pranks on each other yeah. and playing jazz music, and they were stuck in <laughs> that this, evil devil's jazz. And they were stuck indoors <laughs> in this newfangled air conditioned studio that was the talk of California at oh, the time. Hilarious. But for this poor farm guy that just like grew up in the fucking you know dust bowl, it was t- torture. He I will I will say this it. too though, my uh, awful desk job that I had before. Uh, being free to enjoy this podcast in my life. 
horrible sinus problems because of their bad uh, vents Air, and yeah. stuff. My back was killing me because I guess the chair or something like that. All of these things magically cleared up the moment I left. And I think sometimes it's like actually the problem and other times it's your own misery just formu- forcing yeah. your body to reject your situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think it was just yeah, not a great place for him. Not really what where he wanted to be. So what is a lonely kid uh, who still wants to draw Donald duck do uh quits disney to go start his own chicken farm (laughs) but before he does that uh he along with partner jack hannah creates a 64 page one-shot comic book called donald duck finds pirate gold this is the first story involving donald duck and his nephews on a treasure hunt which is going to completely change the direction of the donald duck franchise if you will and connect him more directly with going on these wild adventures involving treasure while waiting for his chicken farm to get off the ground he hits up western publishing who published pirate gold to see if they needed any artists specifically for donald duck stories which by the way this is gonna happen a couple more times in this episode literally people picking up the phone and being like do you need anybody to do Donald Duck? Because I'm your guy, <laughs> which is hilarious to me, the the thought of it. And, and, is, and even more hilarious being like, we do need somebody for Donald Duck. So he was given a script to illustrate and was asked to improve upon it by the editor. And the editor was so impressed with his changes that he made that he was given, and this was special at the time, and it kind of still is always special to this day, he was given carte blanche to write and illustrate stories as he pleased and uh, had full control over his stuff. And that's going to be so important for this guy, Carl Barks, because like I said, he's going to just be, I know we've already said profound What's like having a large body of work? He's going to put out a bunch of shit for Donald Duck and Scrooge McDuck, and it's going to be just this wealth of material that we have to work off of. That sounds about right. Okay, cool. We'll go with that then. Uh, so He's going to gush ducks out of every hole. Every hole. <laughs> this episode's not even going to call DuckTales. going to be called Every Hole. Uh, just to try to, you know, confuse and upset anyone who loved the franchise. So you're saying uh, Donald Duck had pants in his first appearance? He did green ones. That's, ins- I still, that's so stupid. It's very dumb. Ugh. Get those makes you want to throw up. Just fucking strip that duck as quickly as possible. <laughs> so uh, I would love to be in that meeting, by the way. It's like, let's get rid of the pants. Like, what? <laughs> you just want him to have no pants? Or are we just going to... Do I have to learn how to draw a cloaca? What's happening right now? Or what do they have? They have the screwdriver uh, penis. They have the screwdriver penis, yeah. All right, let's move off of it, please. Years later, in December of 1947, Scrooge McDuck, the rich uncle of Donald Duck, made his first appearance in a story titled Christmas on Bear Mountain, first published in Dell's Four Color Comics, number 178. Is four, by the way, Four Color Comics, I didn't do a ton of research into exactly the history of Four Color Comics, and I wish I had. Do you have anything you know about that? It's just, it's essentially like, the collections you got with Marvel, right? Where it was like terrifying stories to horrify you, right? It was that kind of stuff, but just for Disney characters and creations and telling like one-off stories, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Four Color is named after the CMYK printing process. Uh-huh. So I guess that was like a big deal at the time. Just having Technicolor pretty looking comics. Can I say how dumb I felt when I learned that Scrooge McDuck is actually is called Scrooge McDuck because he originally appeared just as an Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah, I like, and I, fill in. I should have realized that as well. I mean, I guess I, I'm kind of with you on that. It's kind of like a no-brainer, but I didn't realize he specifically Not not okay, the idea that he like, wasn't Like he first appeared in a story as an Ebenezer Scrooge 
duck arc like yeah. archetype but i don't and i don't think they ever necessarily thought they were ever going to return to that character he was just going to play this role in this one christmas tale the, yeah the idea that scrooge mcduck was not drawn as a scrooge a miserly man he was drawn as scrooge and yeah. i'm just like oh that makes sense i'm done barks had to say about this scrooge in christmas on bear mountain was only my first idea of a rich old uncle i had made him too old and too weak i discovered later on that I had to make him more active. I could not make an old guy like that do the things I wanted him to do. So he was originally just supposed to be a one-shot character, but Rich Uncle always gives you an excuse for adventure, right? It's, it's too, for lack of a better word, wealthy of an idea. Like, it's too it's too lucrative to for exposition. How did they end up on this desert island in the middle of you know yeah, the ocean well because their uncle's so rich he can afford a private plane and you know yada, as yada, soon yada. as you introduce the idea of a quabillionaire <laughs> into your narrative universe it's gonna be very hard not to talk about the guy who's a quabillionaire right but also before scrooge they had already introduced the idea of the ducks going on big trips to find tr uh, treasure mm -hmm. you know so it's like well who better to, like, spearhead that type of storyline than the rich uncle that loves money so much <laughs> that he would be willing to risk his life, you know? So it just made sense. It just went hand in hand. So in 1950, there was a story titled The Magic Hourglass, which was published that turned the focus from Donald over to Scrooge almost completely. Over time, he introduced so many other characters to the world, Barks did, the world of Donald Duck, including the organized crime crew, the Beagle Boys. Mm. This is all stuff we're going to see in DuckTales. Sorceress Magica Dispel. Scrooge's rival, Flintheart Glomgold, which is one of my favorite names for a character ever. Okay, so this is where I finally got on board, and I started reading a bunch of Carl Barks stories. And because he had so much leeway to work with these characters, right. they followed this insane dream logic where from panel to panel, from page to page, Things go in all sorts of, like, just... I feel like he was making them up as he went along, but that means that you have to find out what happens next because uh -huh. he'll introduce, like... Oh, by the way, uh, this is Magica Dispel. What? Uh, she's a sexy Italian sorceress, but not really a sorceress. But she uses smoke bombs to blind people. By the way, if you're blinded, you can be hypnotized. Anyway, they travel to Rome, and then they go to Africa. And in Africa, they discover a tribe of people with no face. But that will be important later. So anyway, she uses a smoke bomb to hypnotize Huey, Dewey, and Louie into stealing the number one dime. The number one dime can cut through any rope because it's as sharp as a razor blade. Now, in order to, when you had to remember the faceless, it's... It, they, it's so fucking bonkers. Yeah, I love it. Every page goes from thing to thing to thing to thing. Yeah, it's great. And, and, and it gets so far out there. It truly is like a candy-coated dream. And Each and every and one of these characters. like Magicka Dispel. Um, oh, oh, the Glomgo. Okay. And, uh, oh, but but they all, they're great designs. Like, oh, these very These characters strong. have wonderful designs to them that immediately makes you want to know what their story is. And and it's always funny because it's a duck version of whatever it is, and it always just add, that immediately adds this fun level to it. But uh, yeah, it, it's just really great, really welcoming stories that get you just wanting to just read more and more and more. Phenomenal stuff, and in a in a situation too where you wouldn't think you would find such great stories. You know, you'd think it would just be this buzz, you know, bullshitty. Ah, here's another one, kids. Enjoy your stupid, you know, comic so books. But Linhart Glomgold really good writing shows up in uh, 1956's The Second Richest Duck, and in that comic, 
Uh, Scrooge McDuck is lecturing Donald about how he shouldn't spend money on soda because he should save every nickel and save every dime. And to prove it, he picks up an old newspaper off a homeless person because that's how Scrooge McDuck buys the newspaper. He doesn't. He steals it off of homeless people. Of course. And he discovers that Flintheart Glomgold has just bought a bunch of South African gold mines. And he becomes scared that he might not be the richest duck in the world anymore. So he uh, travels to Africa to do a pissing contest with Flintheart Glomgold. They do an entire like weird around-the-world trip. Forget it. They do an around-the-world trip. Sure. Just that happens. And it ends with them competing to see who has the largest ball of string. And they push it across the African savanna. And Scrooge almost wins. But then string-eating ants attack his string ball. <laughs> it's important that the ants eat string. There's, these comics are just, I cannot stress enough, the magical thinking and weird, like, once you get into Carl Barks's rhythm, yeah. like, anything can happen. They yeah. can jump across the world. They can, like, discover a rare species of bat that eats diamonds. Like, it's, anything can happen in these comics. And, and it's and it's because he has so much freedom to work with. And he did so many stories. He did around 500 stories, lasting over two decades of his life, all the way into retirement. And there were three types of stories he was writing. He was writing one-page gag strips. He was writing 10-page funny Donald Duck tales. Those are probably more the odd job stories like we were talking about before. And lastly, these longer stories, about 24 to 32 pages, these big adventure stories, which would eventually become Uncle Scrooge. Uncle Scrooge, Scrooge McDuck, it's his first marquee title in March of 1952. These are the kind of, I mean, what you were describing is Uncle Scrooge yeah. comics, right? The first title in March of 1952 was the 32-page one-off Only a Poor Man, which had Scrooge swimming around in his money for the first time and uttering one of his famous mantras for the first time as well, that he is tougher than the toughies and smarter than the smarties, and I made it square. This was such a big image for me as a child. Getting to, I always wanted to swim around in all that gold. The money bin. Oh, yeah. And just like, and also, and I have a fun quote from barks about about this but you you never saw uber rich people being the protagonist of their story right like in america you do not well i guess you had richie rich but i'm thinking more at the same time you had citizen kane usually the uber rich person in his giant mansion isn't necessarily glorified you know what i mean or or at least not the protagonist if anything he's the villain usually so i think it's such a funny take uh, to have like a, a pro capitalist stance in Scrooge McDuck. Well, you have to. I I mean, this is this is an ass pull. Alert, alert! This is a classic Jake Young uh, 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 ass pull. <laughs> the early Donald Duck comics were from the uh, you know the 1930s, 40s, like a Depression era. These are all stories coming out in the 50s. The fucking you know the boom post war. America's like doing great. Money's great. Fucking get that money. I should note that uh, in the second richest duck, we find out how much money. Uh, Scrooge McDuck actually has, and uh, the the number is one multiplegillion nine obsquat matillion nine hundred and uh, six hundred and twenty three dollars and sixty two cents. That's so funny. That's so ridiculous. So Barks had this to say about Scrooge and his whole philosophy and what it said with capitalism and everything and how he felt about all that. He said. 
They say that wealthy people like the Vanderbilts and Rockefellers are sinful because they accumulated fortunes by exploiting the poor. I feel that everybody should be able to rise as high as they can or want to, provided they don't kill anybody or actually oppress other people on the way up. A little exploitation is something you come by in nature. We see it in the pecking order of animals. Everybody has to be exploited or to exploit someone else to a certain extent. I don't resent those things. So he was actually kind of weirdly like pro-capitalist, pro-go-get-yours. And then um, as soon as you learn this, the nature of capitalism, you realize that you do kill people and you do oppress others. Oh, yeah. Well, he said a little of that's fine. There is no a little oppression. <laughs> So, going back to Only a Poor Man, this is the Uncle Scrooge's debut title. He doesn't actually have his own title yet, by the way. This is a tryout. In this comic, where he's swimming around his money, he must protect his money before the Beagle Boys try to steal it over many different comical attempts. So, it's essentially spy versus spy. They go after it in some way, and he protects it in some way, going back and forth and back and forth. This is actually considered a masterpiece by some comic historians. So definitely check it out if you're interested in the history of Uncle Scrooge. Uh, And once again, the name of that is Only a Poor Man. And after the success of Only a Poor Man, the character is given two more tryout one-shots before formally getting his own title. And the series runs uninterrupted until 1984, when actually it was Western Publishing who pulled away from comic books. And uh, this, this was later picked up the license, rather, by another rainbow two years later. And then the history gets really difficult. It is like it changes hands from publisher to publisher. It goes on hiatus for long stints of time. IDW in 2015 uh, took on uh, the license and uh, trade paperbacks still come out to this day. So it's just changed hands a bunch, though, from publisher. Did we mention how he got his uh, repu- his nickname as the Good Duck Artist? No, I didn't realize. I just thought it was because he just was so dedicated to the franchise. Well, it's because uh, all these, these are Disney comics. So Walt Disney makes Disney, you know, there's no, there's no, the the idea of recognizing these artists as like their own entities and their own creators was, wasn't really done at that time because this is a, you know, this is a product of the Disney company. Everything comes from Disney. But just despite that, the fans knew that there was some guy over there who was like doing it at a better level than everyone else that like you could tell just from the line work, from the story quality, yeah. from the energy. And so people would like say like, Oh, the good duck artist did a story in this one. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey everybody. Holden here. And if you're like me, you hate packing for long trips, especially packing your toiletries somehow always involves a delicate game of stacking and space hacking. And don't even get me started on lotion exploding all over my dop kit. That's why Quip electric toothbrushes work just as well at home as they do on the go. The compact and wireless design tucks easily in the corner of your carry-on or your back pocket if you're just spending the night. Plus, the travel-ready cover protects your brush from sandy swimsuits and luggage slip-ups, kind of like that lotion exploding all over my top kit. And a three-month battery life will last you through a season filled with weekends away. They're making it easier than ever to keep up with your wake-up and wind-down routine when you're out of office. For me, brushing my teeth is such a fundamental necessity that I wish I never had to think about. With Quip, they make it as easy as possible for you with the brush's built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides and help you to clean your mouth evenly. I am so impatient. I literally need this in my life. And on top of that, brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5. It's a friendly reminder when it's time for a refresh and to stay committed to your oral health. 
I love Quip because anything that makes my day-to-day -day life easier is something I greatly cherish, especially as I become more and more aware of just how precious your time is with each and every passing year. That's why I love Quip and why I took it with me on my honeymoon to New Orleans last month. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com forward slash wizard right now, you can get your first refill pack for free. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash wizard. Get it today, y'all. So let's cut to your childhood, essentially, listener. And tell a little bit of the history of the Disney TV animation block. And it all actually starts with, uh, weirdly enough, Gummy Bears. The, the beloved Disney franchise that you had known up until that time. Gummy bears. I mean, the, the, I feel like the theme song people still remember just because it's like. I know, that. but it's just so funny that I, and it was because they were afraid it was they there literally wasn't a TV department at, at this time uh, in our story. Yeah. This so is, this is the mid 80s. The, the we're talking about the, the setting is uh, the dark ages of Disney, as some refer to it. Walt Disney, long dead in the ground. Yeah. Roy Disney just kind of holding on, kind of just keeping the wheels on. But just not putting out a putting out some flops. Uh, the company didn't have a big, uh, a good direction, and that's when, of course, uh, Michael Eisner uh, takes over as head of Disney. This is 1984, and he really just wants to change the game. Not only does he want to make better quality films, but he's also interested in breaking through in television uh, as television cartoons are becoming more and more popular. And he literally has a group of people just come to his house on a Sunday morning. Because that's literally the only time he had. He was so busy. I mean, this is fresh, fresh, fresh. Just taking over as head of everything. And he sits down with a group of people. And these people are Jim Megan, Tad Stones, who was uh, in feature animation. Uh, and Gary Creasel, which was the music division. Megan was also the music division, by the way. Jim Megan, by the way, we did an interview with him. I had such a great time that I don't know when it's releasing, but it might just release same day. I don't know. Uh, we'll figure it out. Origin stories. Uh, Check by, it out on the feed. Yeah, fly by the seat of our pants is what we're doing. I want to give a little background on him because, A, so that you you know have a little bit more to work with on the interview. But also, we we kind of I kind of want to tell the story a little bit through his eyes of, of how this all went down. It's so spectacular. So Jim Megan, he spent 17 years at Walt Disney Studios, first producing children's records for eight years before moving over to TV animation. He was discovered after writing and producing a series of old-time radio spoofs for his college radio station. And at the music division, the reason why he ended up in Michael Eisner's uh, living room that day was because he had a standout hit with Mickey Mouse Disco, which sold 3 million copies and actually was helping to revitalize the music department as well from what I saw in my, in my research. So he, it made him a bit of a standout. So he ends up in this room, never worked in television animation before, wasn't even there for TV animation per se. And as the story goes, he literally, Michael Eisner just was like, oh, man, my kids just came back from summer, summer camp. camp. Or maybe just his son. I can't tell. One place it was kids. Another place it was my son. Anyway, my kid just came back from summer camp, and they can't stop talking about this German candy called Gummy Bears. Is it German, right? I mean, the Swedish? Haribo company is from uh, from Germany, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. And gummy is literally just, uh, I believe it's the German word for stick. Ah, whatever. He gives a shit. Uh, the point is, it's he, boiled cow hooves with yeah. some fructose in it. And he turns to uh, Jim Megan and just says, make me a show about that. <laughs> Jim is like, 
I have I don't even know how to make a show. He thought he he thought it was like a bullshit flash in the pan comment. So he gets a phone call like what a week later or something like that, and it's like, hey, um, bring in that gummy bear idea I asked you to bring in, and then he just starts furiously writing this treatment. Uh, uh, they're in Bavaria. They're fighting uh, the licorice man. Uh, <laughs> fuck. Uh, and luckily, that actually got moved forward into a TV show. Oh, that's a weird bit of serendipity. What? So the gummy gummy bears is a German candy, and all the old Disney cartoons, like you know Snow White and all the, and all that, yes. are based on like uh, you know uh, Brothers Grimm German these fairy, fairy tales. tales. Yeah, and they saw that too, and that's exactly why they made gummy bears set in a you know, renaissance or or uh, castles. Bohemian, Bavarian. Yes, kind of deal. that's 100%. They went with that because of Disney's history of making sh- uh, films like that. So that's why they went with that aesthetic, but it just perfectly paired with the fact that it's a German candy company, right? Huh. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah, so anyways, he said about this, Megan said about this, when we sold gummies to NBC, the head of their children's programming said, okay, so who's going to be your story editor? which is like the head writer of the whole thing. And uh, he said, my boss, Gary Crizzle, pointed at me and said, we thought Jim would do that. So my first journey into animation was as a story editor. That meant I was creating storylines, hiring writers, giving guidance and notes, and then cleaning up the scripts, sometimes rewriting heavily. You know how we just said how like Barks got into the business like first as an in-betweener, and that's usually what happens when you're an illustrator. To just immediately be the head honcho of a TV show in this crazy way. It's really wild. And he speaks more towards it. And I just think it's fascinating when this happens to people. And I I just couldn't imagine. I would have been so freaking out. And it sounds like he really just stepped up and made something pretty incredible. Because if you're not familiar with the Disney's Adventures of the Gummy Bears, uh, and especially when it came out at the time, it was a cut above the rest. It looked better. It sounded better. Everything about it was just better than like the Hanna Barbera. Uh, I guess I'll say schlock that was coming out at the time. It j- and it really changed the whole game when it came to animation for television. Now, there's a reason why they actually were able to do this, and that is because they uh, worked with a studio called Tokyo Movie Shinsha. Yes, and, and we have or brought- TMS for short. Yes, uh, we've talked about them before, but this is this is something actually very specific that happened. Now, TMS is uh, uh, one of the oldest, most storied uh, anime studios. They were a key in making Akira at the time, so they were already like a showcase for like top quality animation. They did uh, Lupin the Third and Castle yes. of Cagliostro. I mean, these which are is big. Also, if you're not familiar, these are huge, huge anime films. That Castle of Cagliostro is basically a Ducktales movie. It's yeah. like kind of insane. I didn't even how think about one, that. Well, it's because anime was always influenced by Disney. Yeah. And now Disney needed anime to make these shows on budget because they couldn't hire their usual feature animation team. And, and they went above and beyond. Oh, so this is where it makes it even more special. I wonder if you have the same. Thing that I'm about to say. I you I want to talk about this. Let me <laughs> drop these bombs. So in Japan, uh, they worked with an animation director named Shigeru Yamamoto, not Miyamoto. So this guy did not explore any caves behind his house. Okay. There's a separate guy, well, and you're racist you're if you think he did. Saying he definitely didn't do a thing that you don't have proof of that no, he didn't do it. Because that's so. a different Shigeru. This I, is Shigeru Yamamoto. If I see a cave, bro, I'm gonna go check it out, okay? So it's not insane to think that this guy fucking happened upon a cave and was like, let me see what's in there. It's a very densely populated country, probably didn't have caves where he lived. What? No. 
Shigeru Yamamoto realized that uh, if he's working for Disney, he needs something that will look like a Disney product, not an anime product. And so he puts together a unique team of animators, not really born from the uh, action anime scene. He actually looks for Disney otaku, like actual fan artists and people that are dedicated to, like, because there's otaku for everything in Japan. And so he has this team of Disney-specific fans, and he hand-translates yes. The Illusion of Life, this which is... is what I was going to talk about. <laughs> uh, basically, the definitive guide to Disney-style character animation that was put together by Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson. Two of the nine old men. The legendary nine old men. I, I, the part that is wild, guys, by the way, is the fact that there was not a translation of it at that time. And he it's act- two separate traditions. And this guy sat down and hand translated the whole thing. That is, and gave them Xerox copies. It's wild stuff. I so mean, that's to make dedication. a Disney show in Japan, they like re- they went full bore. So they had they saved the money on the outsourcing, but they still had that Disney heritage, that Disney tradition in the animation. And they did such a good job that TMS basically became the go to for the entire quote unquote quality television animation industry yeah everyone from uh tiny toons adventures to animaniacs to freakazoid like if you remember an episode uh i think they even worked on batman the animated series yes they did so anytime you remember like a a regular tv uh, the golden age of television animation was basically enabled by tms because they allowed for smooth high quality american animation style at a cheaper Japanese price. It's funny how, I've said this before, every like video game thing and kind of a lot of other things too always goes back to System Shock. It seems like every animation thing goes back to Tokyo Movie Shinsa at some point. There's like or a five, Toei. Or, or Toei. Yeah, there's like a five degree. It's like a, you can play the Kevin Bacon game with mm-hmm. like a certain franchise. It's like uh, Alien, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Ridley Scott's Alien, right? Tokyo Movie Shinsa and uh, System Shock. It's like you can't avoid these franchises when doing the history of this stuff. And for the Disney Afternoon, they produced hundreds and hundreds of episodes. And, like, you know, they would give the kind of the throwaway episodes or, you know, they'd save money by sending it to other animation studios. But just this pow- this amazing synergy that they managed to do between East and West allowed for syndicated daily Disney quality shows. But also you have to remember while you while they're working with this, you know, big Japanese studio at the same time in America on their end of things, as Mr. Megan put it, we were a brand new division, so there was nothing in place. We had to build the structure and the workforce for the department from scratch. And I think it's an incredible feat that they were able to put out not just DuckTales later on, but actually, even with Disney's Adventures of the Gummy Bears, like a way better product than anything else out there with z- literally like no furniture and shit at times. You know what I mean? Like no light board desks or anything like that was set up. These animators were working and I don't know, go in that room over there. They're not using it for anything. Go draw the Gummy Bear cartoon there. You know what I mean? It's, it's like crazy shit. So, um... Disney's Adventures of the Gummy Bears premieres in 1985 and runs for 65 episodes for over four seasons before moving over to a two-hour block of cartoons called The Disney Afternoon. But we're not here to talk about some stupid-ass gummy bears, okay? They're not stupid. It's great. But Bouncing here and there and everywhere. <laughs> we're here to talk about DuckTales. Uh, so, 
That show begins with a man named David Weimers, who is a writer and producer, who had a drawing he made of what would become Launchpad McQuack up on his bulletin board. Get it? He's a pilot, but he crashes. He He's w- a duck, but he can't fly. <laughs> Get it? So he's out to lunch with his partner, Ken Anderson, and executive Gary Kreisel. And uh, as he puts it, and Ken said, why don't you tell him about your duck? And so I did. And that became Launchpad McQuack, which, by the way, is also my pickup line. So Gary loves the idea, and the rest is history. Weimers and Kreisel had to get back to working on the Wuzzles. We even talk about the Wuzzles, Fuck by the, the way. Fuck the Wuzzles. What? No. Fuck the Wuzzles. We don't you. need to talk the about the Wuzzles. Well, I will say, I talked a lot oh, about- Oh, what if an uh, animal was two animals? Toys. Buy our toys. It really was the one-two punch, though, of Gummy Bears and the Wuzzles in terms of quality that got us here. But yeah, Gummy Bears was like kind of more the focus, because I think it was technically it was the first one, right? Of yeah, the yeah. Two. You're listening to Wizard and the Bruiser. Fuck the what? Is no! Our I'm Ultimate Alien. I don't support this message at all. Wizard and the Bruiser. I'm Ultimate Alien. I don't agree. If with there's this a wuzzle, it's fucked. The wuzzle's opinion that Jake has does not reflect the podcast as a whole. Do you like wuzzles? You live in a trash can. I, Wizard and the by Bruiser. By the way, I'm the bad boy of the show, not you. What? Yeah, I'm, I'm clearly bad. a worse boy. Oh my god, are you kidding? I me? am a terrible boy. You are. A, if anything, you're like a mediocre boy. I'm the bad boy. Okay? <laughs> no. Oh, I am a disappointment. <laughs> I have bad hygiene. Don't I steal. light that cigarette just to try to be the bad boy, Jake. <laughs> oh, God, he's doing me. Oh, God, he's doing it. So I'm like a to death. Um, so, anyways, we digress. Wizard and the Bruiser. We digress. <laughs> so, Weimers and Kreisel have to get back to working on the Wuzzles. So, they hand the project over to Ted Anasti, who uh, worked on the Smurfs and later Beetlejuice, as well as his partner, Patsy Cameron, who worked on the same stuff because they're partners, as the main developers and story editors. At the same time, Gummy Bears Wuzzles doing well on their weekly basis and everything, but Michael Eisner at Disney is very unhappy with the lack of control that they have over Saturday morning cartoons since the production runs were limited and the shows could be canceled at any time and the networks had all the control and could give them shitty feedback and take control over it. And they didn't like that lack of control. Disney doesn't like the lack of control. Interesting. So he decides, why don't we try something new? There wasn't, this wasn't happening a lot of the time, especially with TV cartoons. Let's go into syndication. That would also allow them if they went into syndication and did a show on, I don't know, let's say weekday afternoons, like not too long after kids get out of school, uh, they could get way more kids watching in a late afternoon time slot and uh they could also make a lot more money by uh doing syndication what is it can you describe syndication basically especially in for you know in a pre-cable world individual stations were owned by individual affiliates maybe some companies owned more stations but for a lot of you know i'm thinking of wpix in um new york now i think they've almost all been consolidated you know uh the Fox network was originally made from a lot of like individual uh, TV affiliates where they had a lot more granular uh, control over their individual uh, networks programming. And so, you know, syndication were ways that you kind of sold packages to these independent stations. And so uh, if you're running a if you're running a TV station out in, I don't know, Iowa and you are sick and tired of having to program two hours every afternoon of just random ass kids programming, all of a sudden the you know, golden standard of children's entertainment, Disney comes in and says, hey, you pay us this one lump sum of money and we'll just take care of two hours of content 
that you don't have to worry about and your audience is going to love it. And a lot of networks took them up on it. Yeah, and uh, that essentially is why you have the Disney Afternoon to thank for all of those shows that you loved watching after school. I know I had a million of them. I mean, we've done an episode on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We've done, you know, Tiny Toons, all that stuff we mentioned before. All of those great afternoon TV shows, aside from even the Disney Afternoon, which is a phenomenal block of afternoon tele- uh, cartoons. All of that is you have Michael Eisner and the people who made all of these Disney Afternoon shows to thank for just the endless hours of entertainment. So they're working on DuckTales. It evolves from the Launchpad McQuack show to an adaptation of the Carl Bark stories because it fits a very specific niche for Eisner's needs because he doesn't want a Mickey Mouse show. He doesn't want a Donald Duck show. Those are still gold standard characters that you got to pay the big bucks and go to Disney World if you want to interact. Right. With. And also, they're t- you know, they're way too particular about how those characters are being used. Right. They're trying really hard to like they're they, we're still in a testing phase at this point in terms of what this TV animation studio can actually do for the company. So an amazing half step is the Uncle Scrooge universe because it's like not really officially Disney. But it's still the right. It's still basically a Donald Duck universe that like they had to fight to get Donald in the first episode yes. so that he can be like, I'm in the, I'm in the Navy. Oh, I'm in the kill me, kill me. But um, also uh, to add on to that. Oh, you need 65 episodes of a thing pulled out of our asses. Oh, thank God we have f- over 500 stories to pull from that already exist, which was a very special thing for a cartoon franchise at the time and still is. I mean, getting to have that much source material to use is just amazing, you know? It's recognizably Disney, but completely separate from the established Disney canon. It was the perfect thing. Totally. It also had the most kick-ass theme song of all time. It had the best theme song of all time. Can we talk about the perfect, the world's most perfect minute of music? Written by Mark Mueller at the age of 30, he had just come off of his first hit, Hearts, Nothing at All. But it wouldn't be his biggest hit. Do you know what the biggest hit Mark Mueller ended up writing? It wasn't DuckTales? I mean, I guess it, in terms of cultural importance, yes. Mm-hmm. But uh, his biggest hit was... Uh, it's just, just a little crush. Ooh, yeah, Not crush. Like I think That's right, I knew Every that. time we touch. That's awesome. That's a good song. Fucking DuckTales guy wrote that. But it was actually Hearts Nothing at All, which got him the meeting at Disney. And Disney was after a poppy radio song, not, as they put it, a cartoon song. Now, when they say they don't want a cartoon song, this is, again, they're making an active attempt to create something that is of a high, you know, perceived as higher quality yeah. than, like, you know, Watch out, it's Magilla Gorilla. He's a gorilla. Right. Get that gorilla. <laughs> like, it's old, you know, uh, all the Hanna Barbera yeah. cartoons have, like, or, yeah, uh, yeah. Something, something that had a sense of adventure and excitement. Something that just was on another level, like you said. And it took Mueller apparently only 45 minutes to write the demo that he presented to Disney Music execs. And they really dug it. And there were actually a bunch of other people submitting theme songs. Uh, only The only person who was going to get paid was the person who got his on the show. And so Mueller ends up walking away with a sweet $1,250 for a song that literally everybody knows by heart. I hope he's got made a lot more money off of the song in the years since. But that is a fun, hilariously low amount of money to me for what would become like the a song that you could probably like yell the chorus of in in the street outside and a couple people would turn around and go woo like (laughs) there's i just want to touch on like a couple of things that make this song make this theme song truly a 
landmark piece. Uh, number one, that opening bass line oh, yeah. is something out of like the best Hall and Oates song ever. Yep, like it totally it's is. super funky. Make my su- dreams come. I mean, it really is that same fi- theme. Yeah, yeah. For um, sure. The uh, the brass section from uh, from the song, you know, uh, is actually an oddly hard segment to play on the trumpet, but that doesn't matter. Uh, but it's Quincy Jones's brass section. Yes. So already an immense talent there, and. It's the fuck. It's Jeff. I can't pronounce his name. Jeff Pescatetto. Pescatetto. Uh-huh. Jeff. Whatever is the the singer sells the shit out of this yes, song. Jeff. There is a level of commitment. Like Jeff Pescatetto probably might solve a mystery or rewrite history. Yeah, like he is so belting. excited. He for is. This- fucking show it's infectious that you hook, are it's like only over like a it's like a minute long and that like everything about it is great the bridge is an amazing bridge danger watch behind you there's a straight it's like so goddamn good and it got the key change at the end it's so it's perfect pop writing fantastic and and the visuals you get along with it and the actual opening are just really exciting Advent, you know, gets you into that adventurous mood. But I, I always mean, like trying to figure out which ones are clips from episodes and which ones are like unique pieces of animation that they did as like test footage. It's kind of hard to tell. Yeah, it's, it's like when all the robots are high fiving. You're like, oh, that's from the episode where the Beagle Boys yeah, get the yeah. robots. But, but then, then there's like, like the alien. You're like, yeah, the you... laughing alien. Like, yeah. I got your dollar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Scrooge McDuck is like, so oh weird. fuck, I'm in me fucking. I'm in space, and this fucking this fucking aliens taking me dollar. <laughs> Um, so Ooh, they have this to- fucking alien got me fucking dollar and now I'm on the fucking moon. All right with it. So they have I'm the bad boy of this show. <laughs> We're both terrible boys. <laughs> Let's agree. So they have a great theme. They've got, you know, all this source material to work off of. They've developed these characters. They've got this whole world to build off of. But they, what they really need is a strong first episode a strong first that that mwah, pilot that gets everybody excited um and this is where jim megan comes in i was brought on to ducktales after i left gummy bears so the series was already up and running when i arrived my role was quite specific buena vista television wanted a pilot mo- movie to kick off the series premiere so even though i was a late comer to the show i was given the task of introducing the audience to our characters the five-part series that i spearheaded was called the treasure of the golden sons and it was written separate from the regular series production the miniseries set up a how donald left to join the navy as we mentioned before b how nasty old skinflint scrooge got stuck with huey dewey and louie and c how the nephews and launchpad became ongoing members of scrooge's adventure entourage He also says that he wrote about 10% of the scripts for DuckTales and a quarter of the story editing and so many other people involved uh, as well. Uh, It premiered in 1987 and ends up running for four seasons with 100 episodes that were only supposed to be 65, but it was such a success that they ordered even more. So that was actually very special for that show at the time and even today. And uh, it runs up until 1990. Also, I love this thing. this little factoid apparently kurt russell's character jack burton in big trouble in little china was an inspiration for the character of launchpad because megan um and his partner actually went and uh saw that in the theater like around the time they were working on that pilot he said big ego jack saw himself as more important and talented than he truly was and did heroically stupid things just like launchpad mcquack which was really their you know that whole production staff's big contribution to the scrooge mcduck world was that character the maid as well, uh, Mrs. Beasley? Beasley. Beasley. Yeah. 
Uh, uh, there were a couple of extra characters they added along with the stable. Like Gizmo Duck, fucking Gizmo. Gizmo. Let's yeah, yeah. talk about what how they just added a RoboCop weird homage. Well, I feel like you know a it's lot because they sh- added Alan Burnett, who's like now a legendary uh, superhero and yeah. comic book writer. I think, and the funniest thing too is how like RoboCop's this really dirty franchise, but like kids love it so much, and so you get so many adaptations of these. Beloved franchises the kids aren't technically allowed to watch mm-hmm. in cartoon form in shows like DuckTales and or, or Ninja Turtles or, like, you know. They all had, like, a robot, you know, half – they all had, like, an android police officer type. Uh, did you rewatch any DuckTales for this uh, for this week? I dipped in a little scene since I didn't get too deep into rewatching. I rewatched the episode Once Upon a Dime by uh, Ken Koontz and David Weimers where nice. they, they figure out uh, – uh, Uncle Scrooge's origin story. This all happens within... Tw- this is, again, part of the Carl Barks dream logic is in any episode of DuckTales, like 900 things happen that yes. should be their own episode. Yeah. There's one episode where uh, uh, Magicka Dispel steals exotic birds from Africa to break magic unbreakable glass that Scrooge McDuck installed to protect the money bin. But then, like, she hypnotized one of them. It's fucking crazy. Anyway, uh, Once Upon a Dime is listed on several top lists, and it's uh, the the basically the origin story for Scrooge McDuck in the DuckTales universe. He wanted to be an electric bagpipe musician in Scotland, and then uh, he instead was forced to go on a job hunt where, uh, this is the joke, he kept asking for time off and benefits. The idiot. <laughs> what a maroon. <laughs> But he still worked really hard, and so uh, he shined one guy's shoes very, and it was they were very dirty shoes. But he, he worked hard, and he still shined those shoes, and he got an American dime that he couldn't spend in Scotland. And so he decided to go to America, and there he uh, struck gold in the Klondike, and then struck oil, and then uh, he uh, went to Africa where he thought he could buy a diamond mine, but instead of diamonds, there was nothing but coal. And coal wasn't worth anything. And so he tricked a bunch of elephants with peanuts to step on the coal, and the coal turned into diamonds. And that's how he got rich. But really, in the end, what really makes you rich is family. <laughs> One episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a great show, and it wouldn't be so great, I think, also without its voice acting. Uh, Weimers said of Alan Young, Alan Young was the voice of Scrooge McDuck in the hour-long animated Disney take on the Dickens' A Christmas Tale. We just continued on with him as the voice, and Alan was just terrific. He was a such a great guy to work with. Unfortunately, passed away in 2016. Only I've only read nice things about him. Young was a Scottish-Canadian-American actor born in 1919 who played Wilbur Post, the lead in the talking horse show Mr. Ed. How cra- what a long-ass, crazy-ass career that He's is. He's also so. a Stanley Beamish in Mr. Terrific. Ah, and uh, uh, yeah, he voiced Scrooge McDuck for over 30 years until the age of 94. And the last time he actually voiced the character was in the high def remake of the DuckTales video game, which we'll talk a little bit a, about, more about. It's in a just little a bit sad because you can hear how old he is. Uh, no, yeah. It's like, it's kind of heartwarming that he like did it for one last run. I was but. about to break down and get the uh, Disney collection. It's on my Steam wish list. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to get it probably pretty soon. It goes on sale a lot, though. It's only 20 bucks, though, and has all those great games on it. A surprisingly phenomenal batch of video games, by the way, coming out of the Disney Afternoon oh, block. Oh, I mean... Very well, unheard of at the time when it came to licensed uh, franchises. Mary. Hi, Mary. Hi there. Wonderful audio producer, Mary. Uh, could you just play a little bit of the DuckTales moon theme from the Nintendo game? <laughs>
Going back to the voice uh, acting, Rusty Taylor voiced Huey, Dewey, and Louie. <laughs> it Weimer's, always fucked me up that they was just right? the same voice. Weimer said, our intention was Huey, Dewey, and Louie were three individuals, but one character. We never separated them. They were just one personality, so we wanted the voice to reflect that as well. Terry McGovern voiced Launchpad McQuack. He got his first role in actually George Lucas's THX 1138 and is credited for coming up with the word Wookiee. Oddly enough. Yeah, he was literally uh, in the car with George Lucas, and they, like, hit a bump in the road, and he was like, I think I just ran over a Wookiee back there. And he was, like, just started dying laughing. He was like, what the hell's a Wookiee? He was like, I don't know. I just made it up. That's where it came from. And he actually was – he was even in one of the – he, like, did a lot of voiceover stuff in the Star Wars films. Um, Yeah, uh, really wild. He had a very uh, close relationship with George Lucas, it looks like. And, by the way, and we'll talk about the DuckTales reboot uh, briefly in a little bit, but he was apparently heart sick that he was not a part of the reboot and the voice of uh, Launchpad uh, for that. Uh, they got a whole new cast of voice actors. A really good cast, I will say at least, but that is kind of a bummer if he was willing to do it and didn't get to. Uh, so let's talk about the video game for a second. DuckTales is an action platformer developed and published by Capcom for NES, and it was amazingly enough created by major players from the Mega Man series. So you know, it's actually a dope video game. Producer Takoro Fujiwara, character designer Keiji Inafune, and sound designer Yoshihiro Sakaguchi. And you can learn way more about those guys in our Mega Man episode, so I'll leave that for that but it was ported to the game boy in 1990 and what i was just referring to was uh, a remaster of the game uh, as a part of the disney afternoon collection was released in 2013 for all the kind you know pc ps3 xbox 360 wii u and all the i think it's still on all the modern consoles yeah, way forward worked on that i think yeah and uh, apparently they're pretty good ports i haven't played them yet but i intend to at some point they're like i said they're on my wish list so let's talk a little bit about the reboot Two guys, Matt Youngberg and Francisco Angonis, had always wanted to do an updated version for a new generation since getting into the entertainment business after growing up watching the original series. The art style was heavily influenced by Carl Barks' original Uncle Scrooge comics. Donald Duck was actually brought into this one as a key player, uh, unlike before. Uh, What made Donald Duck work as a comic book character was that you didn't have to, like, it's almost like comic book. Donald could speak in full sentences and was like more coherent and almost had a different internal voice than cartoon Donald Duck. Right. And in the reboot, it's still full Donald Duck voice, giving all this incredibly heartfelt and serious dialogue. That's funny. But I will say, we didn't even really talk about that. It was partially they weren't able to get Donald Duck for DuckTales back in the day, partially because of how uh, much Disney was very protective of their stuff. But also, they kind of didn't want Don a lot of Donald on the show anyways because... He's more of a side character that doesn't talk like that. You just want to bring in for little bits that, you you know, like, yeah, that's a challenge in terms of just people understanding what he's saying because of the just the style of his voice. Um, The voice cast is really strong for this show. David Tennant plays uh, Uncle Scrooge, who was Doctor Who in one of the Doctor Who runs. Danny Puddy, uh, who did uh, was on Community. Ben Schwartz was uh, from Parks and Rec. And Bobby Moynihan from SNL as Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Uh, by the way, three separate voice actors for those characters. They went a bit of a different direction. In oh, terms no, of they that. have distinct personalities yeah. in this one. And it's insane. By the way, here's how you know uh, the difference between the three of them. Uh, Huey is the first one, and the leader is always in red. Yeah. So he's the red one. Dewey is dew, like water is blue, mm. and Louie uh. is the last one. 
green guy. Uh, they even got Lin Manuel Miranda to do uh, Gizmo Duck, uh, <laughs> which is phenomenal, and uh, by and Kate McCucci from the comedy uh, music duo Garfunkel and Oates is uh, Webby Vanderquack, who got a much larger role in the reboot. Uh, also, the song was redone by singer Felicia Barton, who is a semi-finalist in American Idol, best known for that. It premiered in August of 2017, has so far run for two seasons. Is it still running? It should be still running. Okay. It's very well done. It's yeah, inc- it looks great. Now, when I said the art style is based on Carl Barks's art style, that's like a really cool, that's like a, it looks really They cool. use a lot of like four color printing style shading. Yeah, it they has use, a yeah. vibe about it that's like old timey, but updated. I don't know. It's hard to describe it. It looks really welcoming and cool but and fun. I would say the level of writing and plot is up there with like uh, Adventure Time, Steven Universe. Like it, they really yeah. are like, again, they're just like doing it right. It is incredibly watchable. Yeah. The jokes land hard. The visual comedy lands I'm hard. I'm very happy the, to see that that it's it's they're doing justice. The, the mystery show. of the Spear of Celine will have you crying by the end. Holden. And the and the creators, Matt Youngberg and Francisco uh, Angonis, they they even said we were so inspired by Ducktales growing up that we wanted to be able to do it. You know. When we got older, we just loved that show so much, and we're trying to make a show that does the same thing all over again in another, like, 10 years. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That the kids watching this show will want to bring it back when they get old enough to get into the entertainment business, and I think that's a cool place to come from. It feels like they're, it's coming from a really strong place. Now, if you want to see more, you know, if you want a, a cartoon to watch, that's definitely the one to get your DuckTales fill uh, in today's age. But also, and I finally get to talk about this, I love this comic book so much. Marcus, actually, uh, Last Podcast Network's own Marcus Parks, he let, lent me his copy of it. Um, I ju- it is just a phenomenal, phenomenal comic book. And what I'm talking about is The Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck, written and drawn by Don Rosa and lettered by Todd Klein. Uh, it is, it, I don't know how to describe this. It is a chronicle of Scrooge McDuck all the way up until 1947 when he got his own comic book. And it's heavily based on references that Carl Barks made about Scrooge McDuck, about his life before 1947, how he got his fortune up until then. And it's very well researched. It's really beautifully written. It's surprisingly touchy. We barely touched on Don Rosa. Don Rosa almost has. Well, I've got some stuff to talk about with Don Rosa. So Don Rosa began, quote unquote, reading the pictures in comics before he was actually able to even read. And he began drawing comics before he was able to even write. These were generally stick figures going on great adventures, a la the Barks comics, of which he was most fond. That's right. He loved Charles Barks. Carl Carl Barks. Charles Barkley. And his favorite basketball player was Charles Barkley. Uh, While in college at the University of Kentucky, he won an award for his political cartoons. He created his own strip, uh, Pert Willoughby Papers, and published 127 episodes of it. It For the record, Pert Willoughby Papers also sounds like an old-timey porno mag. Yes, like the eye-opener. It was, uh, I think it was essentially just like, co-opted it was essentially his the uncle Scrooge stories he always wanted to write but he just had to do it with different characters because he didn't own the license or wasn't able to write for that comic uh he discovered that gladstone comics this is a good flashback for you by the way gladstone comics had a comic with disney characters in it so what did he do of course he uh decided and they had just gotten the license after western publishing stopped back in the 70s he picks up the phone, he calls story the story editor over there and told him that he was the only American who was born to write and draw one Scrooge McDuck adventure. The story editor let him do so. 
which ended up becoming The Son of the Sun, which Mm. went on to be nominated for a Harvey Award for Best Story of the Year. After an issue with Gladstone that moved him over to another, a different publisher, Edgemont, he was able to begin his work on the life and times of Scrooge McDuck. Oh, it should be said, Son of the Sun heavily influenced the fortune of the Sun, yes. which was the uh, Jim Megan's uh, opening pilot movie. Sure. It all feeds. It's a circle. It rhymes. Rosa said, I want to take everything Barks wrote and forge it into a workable timeline. My original dream was to become the new Carl Barks. I wanted to write, draw, and letter all my own stories. People tell me that my pencils look just like Barks, but my inks are pure Rosa, and I can't letter properly, so I'll have to settle for being Don Rosa. The Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck is a is it's it's unbelievable. It's it's Scrooge's life starting in 1877 and goes all the way up until the Scrooge McDuck comic run, which begins, as I said, in 1947. And again, every reference he makes, Barks made at some point in writing Scrooge about his wild past. And he was able to chronicalize it. And this is, by the way, Barks is throwing references out flippantly, has no procured timeline of Scrooge up, you know, before 1947. And so it's Rosa who does the incredible work of putting it all together in a timeline and shaping it and writing this amazing comic book series. And it's also the fact that these are, you know, the fans in Europe who never stopped reading these uh, these Disney comic stories are loving the deep cuts. Yeah. They are, like, it, eating it up, and they are praising these stories just as much as the originals to the point where uh, one of the most obsessive parts of Duck Universe fandom is keeping track of the McDuck clan family lineage yeah. and how it uh, kind of traces through the generations. And he beautifully illustrates this great family tree as well. With all, It's it's just such an amazing work, and you can tell by reading it the love that went into it. It won the Will Eisner Award in 1997, uh, or he did, rather, Don Rosa. And in most of Rosa's stories, he has the letters D-U-C-K, um, like, written out, like, um, uh, with like initials or whatever hidden it's always hidden in the first panel or on the cover and it stands for dedicated to uncle carl from kino which was uh his his full name had kino in it so Mm. that was that was uh that was why but um definitely check it out it is a i saw it on sale for various prices the hardback set is on amazon uh just just please if you are at all curious check it out bite the bullet get the two volume set it you will not be uh, saddened by your uh, by your reading of it. There it is, is so also good. Uh, or disappointed rather. I my I my words not make sense no more. We got to stop. Wait, Jack. oh god. There was also <laughs> who made the concept album? Oh, I don't. Oh, I forget. I don't shit, know. shit, you shit. Look that up before. There's a concept album out there. It's of beautiful. Songs. It's a beautiful album. It, it's like it's it. We don't deserve it. <laughs> we just don't deserve this incredible work or the work of Carl Barks or the great work that everybody did put into the Disney. Um, uh, afternoon t- TV animation block. All right. I think that's our episode. Thank you so much for joining us. It is a Finnish symphonic prog rock album about Scrooge McDuck by Thomas Holopainen, awesome. uh, keyboardist of the uh, Finnish prog metal band Nightwish. Uh, you can find tracks on YouTube. It is haunting. That's amazing. So thank you again 
for joining us, everybody. Uh, this has been a phenomenal episode. I can't believe we got to sit down with Jim Megan. That was unbelievable as well. Uh, we'll be back soon. You can uh, support us further. Go on patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We are pumping out so much bonus content, and we're really going to start upping our game even more now because Jake is out of a job. So it's going to be great. You guys are going to love it. We're either going to be pumping up our game, or I'm going to be pumping insulin into my blood because I'm dying without a source of income. Now's the time to support the Patreon. Uh, and thank you to everyone who already does. You guys are the best. Love our community that we have here. Um, and uh, what else was I going to say? Uh, oh, you can follow me further on twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho. Uh, hey, if you enjoy the program, if you uh, want to do, even if you're not, you know, even if you can't join the Patreon, times are tough, do whatever you got to do. Uh, we would appreciate it if you leave a review on iTunes. Uh, it helps us a lot, especially because I think they're doing like a weird reboot of the podcast app. So, uh, you know, uh, keep those reviews coming. Let people know that we are a quality source of duck-based uh, dick humor. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, and always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. The legends are true. With overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.